everybody. Tony Marcolini. Welcome to the podcast. It may interest you to know. I'm joined today with a very special guest. I'm very excited to introduce comedian Mike Marino to the podcast. Hello, Mike. Well, hey, hello, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I, I, I was very excited uh, at the concept of you coming on the show. As I, I think I was telling you before we started recording, the first time I, I ever came to know who you were uh, was when I had seen a skit that you had done. I think it was the Byron Allen show. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But you did your, your, your Osama bin Laden skit about, <laughs> you know, two Jersey, two guys from Jersey, uh, you know, can take care of this and back within 48 hours. Uh, do you remember doing that skit? And did you expect the level of popularity? I mean, I think that's a $7 million, $7 million view uh, uh, skit. <laughs> 14 million. Oh, 14. I'm way off. Okay. <laughs> popular. Everybody loved that skit. I think, I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of people came to know who you were from that skit. You know what happened was everybody in the stand up world tries to get on the Tonight Show and the Late Late Show and uh, Kimmel and all these different popular TV shows. And we would have these auditions at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood on the Sunset Strip, where I was playing for many, many years. I'll actually be there this coming weekend. Um, so the casting director was working there and they said, you know, you should come and do the Byron Allen show, which is called Comics Unleashed. And Byron's been around for a long time. So when I went down to tape the show, they ask you, what do you want to do? And in my head, I'm like, well, I could do this thing about getting older. Or I could do this thing about my family and I'll do stuff like that. I just don't know what happened when he said to me, I heard you think the president should be Italian. And I went, boom, idea. <laughs> and I did it. And the audience in the actual theater just roared and they were going crazy. So that made me stand up on the show and I got out of the chair, which nobody did before at all. I just, I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting up, I'm getting up. So I stood up and I pretended I was smoking a cigarette and it went wild. And then about two Are you months, telling me you created that on air live or is that a skit you already had and were doing? It was a skit ass. that I already had, but I was um, indulging. <laughs> the audience can really ignite you to indulge and stretch and make it become bigger than what it is and so a couple months went by and I got a phone call from a friend and he said dude you're going viral it's in the millions people are going crazy <laughs> and then Byron Allen called me and said get back in here we want to do another show so I did four more shows and I was supposed to have a tv deal with his network and it was going to be about a family who goes around whacking people. Uh, it just didn't happen. But I ended up doing the series myself. A year later, we called it Make America Italian Again, and that I was running for president. And the guys who are in the series with me are stand-up comics, and they're very, very funny. And the whole thing is we're just a bunch of knuckleheads who are never going to get into the White House, and we're never going to hurt anybody. It's just silly. Yeah. So it okay. worked. You can probably never say never, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nope. we're still filming. We're still doing some projects. So it was a great, great hit in my career. You know, in preparing for today, I, I was really surprised to see your background. 
not only, and I want to get into the amount of, uh, you know, awards, between nominations and awards you've done, you know, to, with 200 commercials, you have a Clio nomination. Uh, you're also, uh, you know, a graduate, I want to say, of the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Uh, is that correct? I never graduated, which is another story in itself. And today, someone on Facebook found me and said, do you remember me from the Academy? And I'm, I think I was 18 years old when I was in the Academy. I'm like, oh my God, I remember. And I actually went to the American Academy about three months ago, walking by in New York City, just to drop in and see what it was like. And they were very nice. They're like, yeah, you're an alumni. Come on in, take a look around. And it was cool. Did, that was my college. That was your college. Did you plan to go into acting in the beginning or was comedy really your love? No, I was an actor. I never set out to be a comedian at all. When I was a little kid, all I ever wanted to be was an actor. So from the age of two years old, I was impersonating TV commercials uh, all through grammar school, junior high, high school. It was all theater, drama. Um, I went to Herbert Berghoff Studios in the village when I was 16, I was actually taken by my high school band teacher because he knew how badly I wanted to be on television. And I started doing TV commercials when I was like 13, 14, 15. Um, wow. I never wanted to be a comic. I didn't turn into a comedian until I was 29 years old and I was at a open mic and someone said to me, do you think you could do what they're doing? And I said, yeah, I'm an actor. I'm going to play the role of a stand-up comic. And I went and talked about my mom and people went crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I win. So it really wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles that people said, you know, you people from New Jersey, the way you talk, the way you act, it's so funny. I'm like, get out of my face. I'll knock you out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Pretty much how that happened. Really? And, and now, I mean, do you... Would you consider yourself a comedian or an actor? Well, that's a tricky one because I did, I have a movie out right now called Four Cousins and a Christmas. And you can watch it on Vizio. And when people watch it, they say, hey, man, I never even would have thought you did stand up because you're such a good actor. And I have a few other movies that are out now, too. So people will say you're such a great actor. So... There's the other type of terminology, stand-up comic, comedian, thespian. <laughs> I'd like to say I'm an entertainer. I oh, I like that. All of it. I do it all. So when I perform stand-up comedy, I'm kind of, in my head, an actor playing the role of the so-called New Jersey bad boy who actually just does stand-up. But I don't. And now I even do characters. I created my cousin, Michelle, who you have to just assume what I might and might not be. And I put that out there. And usually comedy does come from what's going on in your own real world. So I'm impersonating people that are in my family. This way, nobody could really get offended because if they say, well, I'm offended by what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll show you the real person if you want. <laughs> Besides, it's all gently done with kindness. Because impersonations is really flattery. So when I talk about my Uncle Tommy, who's no longer alive, he's real. And everybody will go, oh, my God, I had an uncle like that. Yeah. 
oh my God, I had a sister like that. Oh, I had a friend like that. And that's when you know you're okay, you're safe, you're really just doing what's going on in your world, which makes everybody else laugh because they go, oh, that's so my life. Well, I want to get into the creative process for you, but I also want to talk about, I mean, you've done so many um, TV shows too. I mean, Becker, As the World Turns, uh, this is the, well, the list was on and on, Frasier, Party of Five, One Life to Live. I mean, you, you've been in a lot of major projects. Um, but I, uh, before I do that, I, I think since this is a perfect segue, uh, what does the creative process look like for you? I mean, how do you create your material? Are you just jogging one day and it comes to you? Or, I mean, is there a you know process like I have to, you know, I have to meditate and then drink a cup of tea and then I sit at a computer? I mean, how does that work? I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easy. It's whatever I see. I don't poke fun out of it. I just kind of talk about it. And other people are gonna go, oh my God, he sees that. And I regurgitated it. So here I am looking at you. And I say to myself, my aunt's name is Tony Ann. <laughs> and she spells it the way you do. And it made me think, wow, I need to call Antonia and see how she is. And I just made you smile. I also look at you and I say to myself, I should have wore a jacket and a nicer shirt. <laughs> and then I look at your hair and say to myself, I'm jealous. <laughs> but see how I made you smile? And yeah, all well, I'm you... really doing is saying what I see. And it makes anybody smile because someone's going to go, Wow, he's right. So for you, if I'm hearing this, you you spontaneously create in the moment uh, and that you're that you're observing something. Your senses absorb what you, what you've seen or what you've witnessed. You're very good at paying attention. For me, that was that was I was an I'm a kind of a retired attorney. I'm on the end of my career as an attorney, uh, and. That was super important for me, paying attention, like listening to what people had to say, observing uh, nuances in, in character and conduct uh, for, for in the courtroom when you were going to question somebody. And I think that's a, a knack that perhaps not everybody has. And from what I'm hearing, that's something that is big for you. You are paying attention to the nuances and to what people are saying and doing. And then you're, you use the word regurgitate, but you're absorbing that, filtering it through and spitting it back to us in a way that's humorous. Yeah. Well, I became to the point of my career where I could just do my written act, but I'm bored. I want to write something else. I want to do something else. So I'll give you, for instance, this weekend, I just did six sold out shows in Florida. The background behind the comedian is an artist's painting of an audience. And he painted many different people. So when I went on stage, I couldn't help but say what I saw in the painting. And I had people screaming because they're going, oh, my God, I see that, too. And that could be anywhere from why did this man paint the little boy with jeans <laughs> and a T-shirt and then all the other people. 
So I saw a guy and I said, oh, looks like a little mini Joe Pesci. And everybody screams. You're like, oh, my God, it looks like Joe Pesci. <laughs> and then multiple times and then into like maybe 30 people on the wall. So if you talk about 30 people painting on the wall, you just did 30 minutes of stand up. And they could be looking at you like you're a genius or how did he just make this up or did he come the night before? It really doesn't matter. They're having fun in the moment. And so am I. Somehow the next night, it probably won't work because it's not organic. So I'll talk about some food that I had or maybe the fact that in New Jersey, we don't have alligator alley. We don't have alligators. Where, where they do in Florida. So it, it becomes um, more fun for me and material and jokes that you'll never use anywhere again because it won't make no sense. Well, that tells me you're funny just to hang out with, right? Yeah. So, so just hanging around having dinner with you is, is funny. Could be. I mean, I, was, I also get a little bit boring when I'm not working. And I don't know if that's because I'm getting older and I'm exhausted. <laughs> When I was a kid, I was the life of the party and I would do anything to make anybody laugh long before I ever wanted to be a comedian. I'd pull pranks on everybody. If I saw somebody going to fight or there was trouble, I would make fun of everybody to the point where they would just drop their guard and there would be no fights. I did it all through high school, too. I used to make people just stop bullying. It was so easy for me. I would get away with would, would you, you I would go into like a bad neighborhood and make people laugh and go, well, what are we fighting about? In fact, just the other day, I mean, if I could say this on your show, I really wish I could actually do this in, in, a, in a big format. Someone contacted me many years ago to do a private party. And I flew from California to Leavenworth, oh. Leavenworth, Kansas. Is it Kansas? Where the prison is. Right. And when I got there, and I kind of knew this was going to be, but I didn't really ask any questions, because to me, an event is an event. And if you're going to pay me that kind of money, I'm coming guns a-blazing. So I drove from the airport with a chaperone to the party. The party was a woman. She was turning 80 years old. Oh. And they hired this comedian to come and entertain. Now, I was the only white person in the room of 300. And I say to myself, I wonder why they hired me. So I asked the woman who's the daughter, why did you hire me? She goes, my mother and the Red Hatters was an organization, saw you in Vegas. And my mother said, I have to have him. He's fantastic. So I said, oh, well, okay, because I can do this. I could do anything. So when I went on stage, I said to them all, I go, on the way here, I noticed all the black cows and I was just wondering what happened to their horns. And they all started laughing because they're black Angus and that's where they get the steaks from, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they're going, he's either stupid or he just outsmarted everybody in this room. And I broke them down in seconds to let them know I know I don't belong here, but yes, I do. And then I turn on the Jersey thing. And all I talked about was food and how to conquer the world by having Italian people feed everybody. 
<laughs> by the end of the night, people are falling on the floor, screaming, laughing, and no one is noticing anything. When the show was over, they took me, they took me the next day. I had to go to church. I went to the church. And the pastor goes up and says, I just want to let you all know that that white man in the back of this room had us all laughing like you have no idea last night. You are so blessed, my son. And I'm like, wow, look at me. Look at me. Well, as it should be, right? I mean, I like to believe that there's a certain commonality. Uh, there is. And the, the thing is, and somebody asked me, how did you do what you did? I said, I didn't acknowledge what you thought I would have acknowledged. I just did my act. It works. It's for humans. <laughs> All right. It's for humans. It works. You and, all took the ride. <laughs> and I mean, you've been acknowledged, uh, I mean, in so many ways. I know that you won, uh, it was the Bob Hope Award for entertaining the military. Uh, I know you've gotten a Clio nomination. I, I think I'm seeing some plaques behind you, and I'm wondering, are those are those many of the awards you've won? Because there was a list. I got nominated for a Clio Award when I was 18 years old for doing a TV commercial. It was called um, The Green Marine on United Airlines. I played a Marine coming home from boot camp. And uh, at the end of the... Uh, commercial I say I'm home and it was very sentimental and um, you can't hear that I'm from New Jersey I had no accent I went to you know acting school and I did everything I could to get rid of my accent well the commercial hit so hard it became the number one commercial for five years I remember that I, commercial. I don't even know what a, I didn't even know what a Clio was they just called me up and said, we're going to Radio City Music Hall. You've been nominated for a Clio. Now, I didn't win the Clio. Um, Chuck McCann won. He was in the Dr. Pepper commercials, and he played the hunchback of Notre Dame on the big wheel, <laughs> and he said, read my lips, Dr. Pepper. And that's when they were doing the dancing Dr. Peppers with the guy, and he went on to do movies and stuff like that. But I ended up getting the biggest agent in New York, uh, the commercial ran for five years. I bought a beach house on the Jersey Shore and uh, became one of the top five commercial actors in New York City. And that's why I didn't graduate the Academy, because you were not allowed to work as a professional actor while you were in school. Oh. And I was in school. So when I got called down to the dean's office and they said, well, Private Zaleski, <laughs> I hope you make great money. <laughs> and, well, you, and you became in demand i mean I, I, I think i counted about you did about 200 commercials is that right probably even a lot more since then that's just on the resume now i do endorsements because on my podcast live from my mother's basement we got some endorsements and we have sponsors so i do the commercial for the sponsor myself because, you know, when you're doing commercials since a little kid, eventually you realize you could write the commercial. I could come up with the slogan. I can't sing a jingle, but I can, you know, put two and two together and say, hey, you know, come and buy this product. It works for me. It'll work for you. However, we write it. And I enjoy writing it. Well, you have a knack. I mean, you definitely have a, a knack for that. I mean, clearly writing 
I don't want to say it comes easy for you. I mean, you said it came easy for you. So I guess I'm borrowing your phrase, uh, but it seems it's a natural gift that you have and not everybody has the same talents. So writing uh, is, is, is a gift. And I think you can channel that into so many different formats, which you clearly have. What about when you act? Because you, you've done soaps, certainly. Uh, you've done some shows, some just some regular, like I said, Frasier and Becker. Um, what is that like when you're creating a character for you? I mean, because I, I talk about this on the podcast a lot. I believe that any form of entertainment, it's a, it's a very collaborative process. And I think it's undervalued in a lot of ways because... You know, you never know what kind of day somebody is having and and enjoying your stand up or watching a, a show or comedy that makes them laugh can really make all the difference in somebody's day or life when they're going through something. And to bring that entertainment to you, especially in the form of a TV show or a movie, is so collaborative, right? There's the person who writes the material, but good luck, you know, you can be the best, you know, screenwriter in the world, but if you have horrible actors, uh, you, you don't have a lot going for you. Uh, and, and so you need the, you know, the writer to be quality, writing quality material. You need the actors to be, you know, bringing their A game to performing that down to, we had a very gifted, uh, editor on, uh, down to, and, and the person, you know, running the camera, the, the cinematographer, uh, getting the best angles, capturing, capturing the moments in the best possible way, the editor knowing which take is the right take to include. So it's so collaborative to bring that to you. Uh, and I, and I think actors in that way uh, are also somewhat underrated because you get some material and you read it on a page and you're like, oh, wow, this is great. But it needs the actor to breathe life into that into that character. Those little nuances and things that ultimately make the character the character come from the actor. So what does that look like for you? You read a character on a piece of paper, maybe that somebody else wrote for you, something that you didn't write for yourself. And then how do you, how do you create that person? Well, a lot of the times that I got cast in projects, believe it or not, it was because I was doing stand-up somewhere and somebody said, he's right for what we're doing. Auditioning for TV shows, auditioning for movies is difficult because there's so many people auditioning and you have to have that one little thing that says, okay, let's keep him around. So if you go all the way back in time when I was working on soaps and a lot of those soaps don't even exist anymore, you went into audition for what they called an under five. If they liked you, you came back. So I did many different soaps. It wasn't until I went on As the World Turns, funny enough, in scenes with Meg Ryan and Marissa Tomei. That's how long ago it was. Um, Marissa Tomei was in most of the scenes that I was in when I was on the soap. She was like 19 years old. I think I was 23. Nobody really was looking at like, wow, this girl's gonna win an Oscar. We were just kids on a show. Yeah. And I was in what they call a vignette with the bad guys and she was with the good guys. So since me and my bad guys or the group that I was in was always getting fan mail, they kept us on the show. So I ended up being on the show for about a year, mostly fighting, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I was asked to go to Italy to do a TV commercial for the Navy. 
and it was going for three weeks. And at that time, you know, you're 23 years old. You're thinking, I'm always going to work anyway. Bye-bye, soap opera. I'm going to Italy. And when I came back, they had my character in jail, and it was over. So now you go back to just auditioning again. But that's how that happened. And who knew it was going to keep going? Then on a flip note, you got, I got a part on Party of Five. And that happened at an audition. I went into the room. I auditioned for Party of Five, and it was to be a character who was going to be on the show for a year. I owned the shop where the, the oldest brother was the star of the show, was going to be in scenes with me all the time. This is a big, big deal. So when I went in there to audition, the director, I'll never forget it, he goes, hey, aren't you a comedian? And I said, no, no, I'm an actor. And he goes, I've seen you somewhere before. And I go, no, 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 I'm just an actor. And he goes, well, just tone it really way down. And I did what he wanted. And he goes, perfect. Week later, I was on the set. And I was doing a scene with the big star of that show. And I was like, this is it for me, man. I'm going to be on this show for a couple of years. And here I am with the big, big star. And all of a sudden, that guy who was the director sat there goes, I know who you are. You're a comedian. And I'm like, please don't get me in any trouble. He goes, no, no, no. I love your work. Comedians make the best actors. And I'm like, <laughs> and don't you think I did the whole season, but it got canceled. <laughs> oh. And I went on another couple of shows. And when I was on um, Becker, I played a process server and was supposed to do three different episodes. And when I went into the audition, the guy said to me, he goes, I like this kid's attitude. I don't know what it is, but just listen to, go with him, go with Mike. And away I went. And every time I was on the show, Ted Danson would go, what is it about you that just cracks me up? And I go, I'm a comedian. <laughs> well, what was that set like? I mean, that was a good show. I don't think Becker gets the credit it deserves. Uh, that was a really funny show. Um. When you're doing live television in front of an audience like that, it's a natural high. If you make a mistake, they could just say, cut, do it again. I didn't have a big, big, big role, so it was easy for me. And at the end of the day, when you're done shooting, they do a curtain call and everybody gets to step out and get an applause from the audience. Of course, he got the biggest one and so did everybody. But it was nice for me to walk out and get the applause and have people go, hmm. I think I saw him at a comedy club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I spent 10 years doing stand-up comp, I mean, um, sketch comedy on The Tonight Show. So I was with Jay Leno at least once a month for 10 years. And we did some of the funniest sketches. But when the sketch would go live and you were a plant in the audience, um, that was just the greatest high because it's do or die. You're not going to go to a commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell me what was your on that? Because I, I did, uh, I, I vaguely remember that you, you know, you were on the Tonight Show pretty, pretty, pretty often. I didn't realize it was once a month, but uh, what's your most memorable skit? Well, we did a lot. We did a lot of skits. Um, Is there one that stands the, out for you, though, that really? Yeah, there was this joke that they want. Wow, there's just really so many. I got to work with so many stars. Um, there was a joke that Howie Mandel wrote. And it was supposed to be that he found a picture of 
uh, Liberace. And Liberace was dressed in all this crazy fringing outfit with stockings and a weird hat. And he said, who would ever dress like this? And there was a guy in the audience dressed like that. And it was me. <laughs> so I said, I'm offended that you're offended by what I'm wearing. And nobody laughed. <laughs> and it fell so flat that Howie Mandel looked at Jay. Jay looked at Howie and said, maybe you should have came to rehearsals. And I went, I was at rehearsals. And then the audience started cheering. <laughs> and I go, can I get out of this now? <laughs> and, and then then the laugh happened. But Did, the, the thing that, that was, was most... for everybody is that they were laughing knowing that the joke wasn't written that funny. <laughs> but we made it funny anyway. So that's your most memorable moment. I think Not, so. We yeah. did a lot. We did a lot of different skits. Did you have a, a favorite star to work with in those skits? Well, working with Jay was really cool. You know, he said he mentioned my name a bunch of times on the show. Um, the first time I ever did stand-up comedy as a performer in stand-up was on the Martin Short show. Oh. And I was in the green room with Phyllis Diller. Ah. I would have so, loved that. You know, I don't know how many people actually remember the the great Phyllis Diller. Oh, I sure she do. She in the green room, and I said to her, you know, I'm doing stand-up on the show, and she's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> she give you any advice? No, she just was all smiles, and, you know, you, you're so nervous that you actually have to perform that you get even more nervous that she's there. I mean, you know... Is there one person you've met in your career that you were a little starstruck with? You get starstruck, but then again, you eventually realize that they're people. I did a movie called Pizza with Bullets, and the star was Talia Shire. Oh, yeah, Aiden Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. And the first scene I had was with her, her and I. And Vinny Pastore from The Sopranos was in the scene too, but he was in a coma laying in the bed and I had to do a scene with her. And so we did the scene a few times and then she looked at me and she goes, you know, everybody told me you're the stand-up comedian on the set. And I was wondering, do you think I'm playing funny in this role? Is it coming across? Am I, am I coming across funny? And I went, could you wait right here? And I called my brother. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't gonna believe this. <laughs> Adrian wants to know if I think she's funny. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> but then by the end of the week, you realize, well, you know what? We're all just human beings. So you're starstruck. Yeah, because this is, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's sister and she's in The Godfather and she's in all these major movies. But here she is, the nicest person you ever met. Sitting down, having macaroni at lunch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm saying, hi, you want to come and see me? I'm doing a show in Hollywood. And then you meet Vinnie Pastore. I think one of the biggest stars that I am friends with is Joe Montaigne. He gave me this coin, says Joe Montaigne. And I have it here with me today because he's going to be on my podcast next Tuesday night in Hollywood. Because I'm going to fly back to L.A. this Thursday. He's coming on the podcast the day after Valentine's Day. And he's done a lot of things for me. He's introduced me to a, a lot of great influential people. 
I did his comedy roast three different times. And I'd like to say that we're friends. So when I called him and said, hey, would you come on the podcast? He goes, well, what are you waiting for? Of course. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And that's then I would great. ask him if maybe he'll play my uncle or my, my father in a TV series. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hopefully. you were... You are working on something, right? Did I read re Reconstructing uh, Jersey or something like that? Is that is that the original? The original title of what I wanted to do was called Reconstructing Jersey, which is just about a family in construction living in this small town. Since then, I changed the name to Growing Up Grand because I'm actually in the house I grew up in. Oh. I'm in the town that I grew up in. Oh. And the town really hasn't changed in hundreds of years. Some of the nicest people. When I go away, if it snows, my neighbor shovels my front porch. <laughs> the, the neighbor next door, I know her since I'm a kid. If she needs groceries, she'll call me, I'll go. There's a diner that hasn't changed in a hundred years and everybody knows everybody by the first name. And if you didn't have cash, she'd say, okay, get me next week. I'll see you next week. It's still Mayberry. Yeah. So one day I walked into a diner and it's the guy who you know since you were a kid. And he said to me one day, what's it like to be famous? And I said, are you hiring? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't see myself that way. I, well, you see are. I mean, you're very famous, but yeah. <laughs> okay, but you know, we're always as entertainers wanting more. You're always going to want more. I want to keep on going. And so I think that would make a great series because I came home to save my family. They got older. I have to take care of them. And then you meet the town people. And then you meet the girl who got away because you left to go become famous. And now she's divorced with kids and you're thinking, hmm. So I like these ideas. This is what I would like to watch. And I know this town would be a great backdrop and all the people that I've known in my life all these years would make great characters. Plus I love characters. So the butcher makes me laugh. <laughs> you know, the guy who works- As, does, as, as do most butchers, yeah. <laughs> They're funny. Yeah. They're nice, nice characters. Well, this is what. Now, what stage are you in with this? Are you are you developing it? Are you getting close to actually recording? Well, we had shot some of it a few years ago, and then I rewrote it, and now we're raising the financing to actually shoot the project. And I guess luckily for us, because of the way television has changed, you don't need to be on NBC or CBS or ABC. You can be on Hulu. You could be on Netflix. You could be on a streaming company and maybe with people who see your vision a lot faster than anybody else. Oh, um, sure. A lot of the projects I've done uh, came with independent financing. If you do independent financing, and you sell your project and everybody makes money and nobody tells you how to do it. Well, which that's is, true. Better. If you yeah. do, you know, how could you tell me by now what works on stage? <laughs> how could I not know? Right, right. I know, I've, I mean, I do anywhere from corporate events to squeaky clean cruise ships to some of the most 
dark places anybody would actually need to go. When I first started doing stand-up, you didn't have so many venues to perform. So I was in Los Angeles and I would go into the hood. I didn't really notice the difference because they have palm trees and pools in the hood. Whereas here we have Jersey City and we have buildings and you know not to go. So I would play all these Latino comedy shows and uh, chocolate sundaes and places like this. And that's why I would come up with jokes that were so silly. You had no, you had no choice but to laugh. So let's suppose and you go into a, a neighborhood where people were talking about gangs, the bloods and the crips and how nasty it was. And they got their jokes out of that. And I said, yeah, I understand all of that. That's why I joined the gang. I joined the gang. It's called Sam's Club. I carry coupons and I cut prices in half. <laughs> and people and he just outsmarted us. And you really can't get mad at that. Right. It's, it's pretty stupid. But it breaks barriers and it's funny. <laughs> well, let's talk about touring for you. I mean, you've always been, uh, I guess, touring around your, your acting and your other projects. Uh, I, you know, I, I've seen ticket sales for you all over pretty frequently. Uh, were, you, are, were you able to tour though through COVID and are you touring again now? Before COVID, I was averaging 1,500 to 2,000 people a week. That's how many people I was entertaining all around the globe. I would do a cruise ship once a month. I would do a theater or two once a month. And then I hit as many states as I can. When COVID hit, it shut down the first month, second month, third month. And then you thought, oh, this is serious. Yeah. Then you went on, I went on unemployment and I didn't do anything. Nothing. So I came back to New Jersey and I stayed at my house here. We did some things on Zoom, which is horrible. If you can't see people with their body posture laughing, how is anybody going to get any enjoyment? Then when the world started to open up again, I went back out on tour. And instead of seeing a thousand people, you saw 100. And that's pretty sad. Yeah. Um, two of the last cruise ships that I just did in December normally would have 2,000 people in the theater and it had 40 people. Yeah, the, the world is still not, uh, you know, people are not really purchasing tickets for events like they used to. It's understandable. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, because I do my podcast Tuesday nights, in person, I haven't done anything like this yet because I like to do it live on Facebook and Instagram so I can get the gratification of people writing in and I could sit next to my guest. We get COVID checked every Monday, do the show every Tuesday. If anybody's positive, I just don't do it. So far, everybody tested negative. Um, I'm vaccinated twice. I got the third one. I even got the fourth one, flu shot. I took them all. You know, I want to go to work. If you go on a cruise okay. ship and you're not vaccinated, you're not going. Right. You know? and, and so, I mean, are you seeing now, are you getting back into touring though? Or are you actually traveling again? Yes. Just got back from Florida. We did six shows in Florida. Two weeks prior to that, I was in Florida, but on the east side. And then uh, this week back to California from California, on to Arizona, Arizona, on to Florida, 
Florida back to God knows where I'm going, but I'm going. And I think we were talking before uh, actually we started recording that uh, you you have plans for an even bigger tour coming up. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, luckily and oddly enough, I started working with just uh, a reality show star. His name is Joe Gorga, and he's married to Melissa, and he's the brother of Teresa on the TV show, The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Now, it's a hit reality show. I'm not extremely familiar with the show. I know a few things. But uh, he came over to me through some friends and said, you know, he wanted to do stand-up. And I says, okay. So we went over his act and we presented it. And uh, he has a huge amount of fans from the reality show. I have a huge amount of fans from what I do. So we figured we'll collide. Two Italian kids from New Jersey going out in the world. Okay, let's give it a shot. <laughs> I really like that. You never know. I might end up becoming a reality show. <laughs> Whatever, but it's fun. And uh, he's a good guy. And, uh, well, his family's famous. Well, I think anything with you would be fun. Right? Which you really variety? could. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people go to, to find out about more about this and to, uh, you know, to be able to follow it. And Everything's on my it. website, mikemarino.net. And from my website, you can go to my YouTube channel. My YouTube channel, we got the uh, Marino 2024 series where I'm running for president again. I've been running since 20, 2008 or something like that, point oh. I've been running my whole life. You know, maybe if I get in there, we could change things. <laughs> you have my vote. <laughs> the Make America Italian Again tour. It's very slapstick, silly, and fun. Every Tuesday night, I do live from my mother's basement. Would love to have you come on my show. Oh, I'd love to. In person. No, nobody wants to talk to me, though. But <laughs> You come on the show. We, we eat on the show. We have sponsors. It's a, it's a smorgasbord of fun. I like that. I've had anywhere from doctors to celebrities. I had a, uh, a hypnotist on the show. I had a guy who does psychic readings. Um, now we're going to have some serious actors. This sounds wonderful. Uh, I, I'm going to put links up uh, for, I mean, if, if you haven't seen, first of all, if you haven't seen the, the Byron Allen uh, clip, you don't know what you're missing. Uh, but I'm going to put links up to a lot of your different stand-up and uh, your webpage so that people uh, can find you easily uh, in, in the, you know, in the comments below the video. Uh, I, I, I have to say this before I can let you go. I mean, I've been so impressed by your career. As I mentioned earlier, I think my brother initially sent me that clip that, you know, uh, a clip that you do uh, about two Jerseys and two guys from Jerseys going to take care of uh, Osama bin Laden. And I I think I fell in love. I mean, you know, that was, I, I laughed and laughed and laughed and I followed your career you know, since then, anytime I can grab a, you know, a clip or follow, you know, follow you on YouTube, see what you're doing. I really was honored that you, you know, you decided to come on to the podcast and talk to me. I think you're incredibly, you know, creative. Uh, and I love to talk to creative people, see how they pick their brains, see how their mind works. 
And for some people, it's it's a chore. You know, it's a hard thing to do. They love to create, but it takes a lot of their energy. And it was a pleasure to talk to you and see that for you, it really was is so ingrained in your personality that it comes natural. It was an honor to get to talk to you for a little bit. How to come and be on my podcast? You have a great time. I'm inviting you right now live on your show. I would. I absolutely accept. I'd love to be on your show. As again, I said, nobody wants to see me or hear from me, but I, I'd still love to come and be with you. So, you know. <laughs> well, can I ask you what kind of law did you do? Mo mostly divorce, but, you know, the trial work. I, I say the, the trial, the family bar is the most underrated bar that there is because you're in court all the time trying cases. You're there almost every day. Um, so I did a lot of trials a lot of heavy duty trials where I would be in trial for two, three weeks on a case, but I saw things that you just couldn't possibly make up. <laughs> I say that, uh, I say, I can only imagine how, how that is. And then you watch all these celebrities who go through divorces and who's given up a million and 2 million and what they're all worth. And I'm like, God, is it really that bad? Couldn't you just say, look, I'm not happy. <laughs> You'd think so, but it, it doesn't work that way. And there's so much emotional bitterness, I think, that it makes the practicality uh, of what should be a contract-based negotiation just go right out the window. Uh, I remember once battling in a conference room for about two hours over a rotisserie. It's, it's like it's a $50 rotisserie. I mean, what kind of chicken does it make? You've spent enough in attorney fees to buy a thousand rotisseries at this. I'll buy a new rotisserie. Like what? Uh, you know, but that's how ingrained people are sometimes in their position. And it's just more a matter of hurting the other person. And it's, it's hard to reason with somebody that's in that state of mind. Wow. Well, I'm glad that's something I've never experienced. I would like to play a lawyer in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be a great one. You, you, you do need some personality, especially if it's something that you're doing a jury trial uh, or you're trying to uh, qu question a witness. You somewhat need a good personality to lull them into that false sense of security that allows you to get the information you want from them. Well, let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> But I do think you'd make a hilarious attorney. I'd love to see that, Joe. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to close out the podcast. I want to thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. As again, I am a fan. Uh, I followed your career for a long time. I'm thrilled to get the opportunity to talk to you. I think you're talented and creative. I encourage anybody listening or watching, uh, their links will be there. Please check him out. He's, he's going on tour again. Uh, his Please go on his uh, website and you can get tickets. You can find out how to buy his merch, uh, all the merchandise. <laughs> and uh, and you can just get it, all different videos. His pod, I think a link to his podcast is on his webpage too. Um, so check him out. Thank you for joining Thank you. me. Thank you very much. And I'm going to say goodbye from, uh, it may interest you to know. <laughs> so long.